This is SciX, the Systemic Psychedelic Podcast. Welcome and hello to a new episode of our podcast. My name is Tanja Schumann and today I will speak to Dr. Rick Strassmann about the potential of psychoactive technologies to facilitate system change. Let me first give a little bit of background. Humans, as a species, are facing complex global challenges. At SciX, we are exploring how psychoactive technologies can be the missing puzzle piece to address these challenges, especially when applied in the fields of leadership, innovation and global systems. By psychoactive technologies we mean both endogenous means such as meditation and breathwork and exogenous means such as psychedelic substances and neurostimulation. We are especially fascinated by psychedelics because of the recent upsurge of public attention and scientific research in relation to these compounds. Our guest today is Dr. Rick Strassmann. Dr. Rick Strassmann is currently Clinical Associate Professor of Psychiatry at the University of New Mexico School of Medicine. He's also president and co-founder of the Cottonwood Research Foundation, which is dedicated to consciousness research. In the early 1990s, Dr. Strassman performed the first new human studies with psychedelic drugs in the US in over 20 years. His research involved the powerful, naturally occurring compound DMT. Led to this substance through his earlier study of the pineal gland as a potential biological locus for spiritual experiences, He administered several hundred doses of DMT to approximately 5,000 volunteers between 1990 and 1995. He wrote about this research in the popular book DMT, the Spirit Molecule, which has sold nearly 200,000 copies and has been translated into over a dozen languages and co-produced the popular independent documentary with the same title. Since 1996, Dr. Stressman co-authored Inner Path to Outer Space. He's been exploring models for the DMT effect using the Hebrew Bible's concept of prophetic experience, as described in his book DMT and the Soul of Prophecy. His most recent book is his first novel, Joseph, Joseph Levy Escapes Death. Okay, so um, Dr. Strassman, welcome to the podcast and thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Tanya. It's my pleasure. Um, I would like to start by talking a bit about the, um, really the baseline of all of this. So if we talk about system change in relation to psychoactive technologies, there's the assumption to some extent that there is something about the system that needs to change or that there are certain problems that could be solved by working with psychoactive technologies. So I would be curious to hear from your perspective what you think are the most pressing challenges that we're facing as a species and um, how that manifests? Uh, well, I don't think that, you know, psychoactives, uh, you know, in particular, you know, psychedelics can help solve problems as much as uh, they can help the people who are trying to you know, solve those problems um, come up with better ideas or become more convinced of the truth of their ideas, their rightness, correctness, uh, and increase their motivation to go out there and, you know, to act on their beliefs and their ideas. 
Um, I think, you know, psychoactives only work uh, on someone's pre-existing mind, on their personality, uh, what they hope, what they think, what they feel. You know, so you're not going to get new ideas in someone. You'll just get uh, a clarification of pre-existing ideas and a feeling of more certainty or feeling of uncertainty that you're not sure your original thoughts or ideas were correct. Uh, but uh, they you know, don't work in a vacuum. Uh, they, uh, well, Stan Groff likes to refer to psychedelics as nonspecific mental amplifiers. You know, so they amplify what's already in the mind. Uh, they make it clearer, make it more certain. You increase your commitment to those things. You can put together ideas in a different way, uh, but those ideas are already, uh, you know, in the person's uh, mind. Hmm. And do you, so to go back a bit even um, basically beyond the, um, you know, the solution, but to even think about what's even the problem that we're talking about, What are the problems that you see out there in society and communities that concern you most? Um, well, there are a lot of specific ones, uh, but I think the the ones that um, or the the primary or the original problems from which from which the rest of the specific problems devolve. Um, You know, I think there's a lack of uh, our understanding of the golden rule, you know, to love your fellow as you love yourself. Uh, I think that's a serious problem. And uh, if people focused on that uh, and believed in it and acted on it, um, I think that would reduce inequality, which is probably the major you know, social problem facing us now. Even Philo, you know, around 20 AD, you know, was writing and said, uh, inequality is the cause of all civil problems. Uh, so I think that's not changed. Inequality has really become a problem. And I think it's become such a problem because of a lack of understanding and adhering, you know, to loving your fellow as yourself. You know, the golden rule. Hmm. I think it's interesting that you say that that was already an issue a long time ago. So do you think that's really an issue of human nature of how we work as a species? Or do you think it does have to do with how societies are structured and the kind of beliefs that we hold in, I mean, specific societies, let's say only in Western societies or um, and not in others, for example? Um, well, you know, it's a combination of human nature and, you know, nurture, you know, the environment in which a person grows up. Uh, so, uh, there are certainly certain, there are specific, there are specific aspects of, you know, Western civilization, uh, which, um, encourage inequality, uh, you know, the, the, you know, technological advances amplify human, you know, desires and being able to act on those desires that much more. Um, and, you know, there's an educational system uh, 
you know, not even necessarily schools, but the entire notion of indoctrination, you know, uh, integrating a doctrine on a way of, you know, looking at the world, uh, which is uh, diffused, you know, culturally through interactions between parents and children. Uh, you know, there's, and, you know, within that category of indoctrination, you know, there's religions uh, which teach certain things about uh, human nature and the natural world and our interactions with uh, material and the spiritual worlds. Um, you know, so, you know, technology and the lack of proper training, I think, uh, are the two big, or at least, you know, two big issues that, uh, you know, contribute to, for example, inequality. Um, but to go back to what you said about the... <laughs> about the technology aspect. So do you have a sense that there's also um, any aspect of technology that we're developing in the West that might actually contribute to the solution of exactly that problem of separation and inequalities? Not really. I, I don't think it's a you know, technological problem. Uh, I think it's an education problem, a spiritual problem, a you know, psychological you know, defect. Uh, you, know, you know, so no matter, you know, how high tech we develop our environment, uh, if it's applied in a diluted manner, it's just going to really not help. Hmm. Yeah, thanks. And you were also referring to something else, which is um, religions and communities. And those are essentially the ones that are also holding certain technologies, right? They're holding, for example, um, I mean, if you look at the shamanic communities, they're holding the ayahuasca and other medicines. Or if you look at um, Buddhist traditions, they're holding certain meditations, which can also potentially be labeled as certain technologies. So what's your sense of the role of these cultures um, and these communities with regards to um, really helping that the technologies do have a positive impact on individuals and also societies? Well, I think within the, you know, the religious you know, world, you know, there is a hierarchy. You know, there are people who are more spiritually developed, uh, you know, just like there's you know, better athletes by nature, more intelligent or creative people or artistic people by nature. Uh, you know, so there's a spiritual elite, uh, which is entrusted with safeguarding uh, the most you know, powerful you know, teachings and techniques, um, which I don't think is a you know, problem in and of itself. But it's uh, when the spiritual elites use their elite status for political and, uh, you know, nefarious you know, reasons for uh, controlling you know, society rather than educating and enlightening them. So, you know, that's a combination again of human, of you know, human nature, um, as well as a uh, you know, social tradition that's inherited. Um, you know, if you propose, you know, let's say to give you know, psychedelics to any elite group to help them uh, become more compassionate or caring about those whose responsibility they uh, 
you know, possessed to educate it in a certain way. Uh, you know, it may work or it may not work. I mean, it might be working on a greedy spiritual elite that just becomes more convinced of the, you know, necessity of, you know, hoarding and controlling. Uh, I don't think there's anything inherent uh, in psychological technologies, in particular, you know, psychedelics, which would make uh, an evil person good. Mm, thanks. And if we go back to the technologies themselves and also your personal work with those, um, I mean, both personally and also in your professional life and your research. So when you look at the impact that these technologies had on people and on yourself, how would you summarize that in regards to, you know, the, the impact on personal development and on, you know, the potential to to, I would say, um, unleash one's own potential, perhaps? Uh, well, I think that, you know, psychedelics uh, just clarify and amplify things which are already there. So in my case, uh, you know, one psychedelic experience I like to share is uh, when I first smoked DMT. And, uh, these little beings, maybe three or four feet tall, emerged from a flaming waterfall. It was, you know, flaming colors uh, comprised the waterfall. And these, you know, little uh, beings, I would describe them as aliens if I would refer to them in any way. Uh, you know, they said, you know, now do you see, now do you see, now do you see, just over and over and, and over again. Uh, so as a result of that, you know, vision, I mean, I was, you know, set on course to study DMT and then to, you know, follow it wherever it led, you know, the information and the data. So in a way that, uh, trip that, you know, uh, individual personal trip of being asked over and over, now do you see, you know, it, you know, changed my life. It, 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 uh, influenced, it, uh, it uh, infuses, uh, you know, my activities, personal and academic. Mm, thank you very much. And um, with regards to the participants of your study, for example, were there any outstanding examples that you've seen where people um, were able to make use of the experience in order to add more meaning to their own life or to also be more of more service to their communities? And if yes, how did they do that? And how was that facilitated perhaps in such a way that, that enabled them to, to do so? Uh, well, I think people got the sort of experience that they were hoping for, either consciously or unconsciously. Uh, one of the volunteers was a shaman and he had a shamanic experience that he believed he would only have when he was dying and a much older man uh, but it took place in the study um, there was a nurse in the study who really was fascinated by the near-death experience and she wanted to have a near-death experience and as a result of her dmt injection administration um, she had a near-death experience uh, um, there was a religious studies major in our group that 
always wanted an enlightenment experience. And, uh, you know, so he was, you know, the only person in the group that had what could be referred to as a typical enlightenment experience. Uh, and others had you know, psychological you know, healings you know, that they needed, uh, which they were more or less conscious of, which uh, took place during their you know, drug sessions. Um, with respect to becoming of more service to the community, I think you know those with that kind of tendency felt the importance of doing so. They were more strongly convinced of the importance of being of more uh, you know, service to the community. Um, you know, it was an egal. It, it was an altruistic group of you know, volunteers. You know, they just weren't interested in in you know, getting high. They were interested in um, advancing you know, science, um, advancing human evolution at a spiritual level. You know, so they were inclined in that direction in the first place. So, uh, you know, they may have been more prone to you know, manifesting or actualizing some compassionate and. Uh, community-oriented activities, whereas others might not have been uh, if they weren't that way in the first place. Um, you know, one of the you know, subjects was a family physician who, because of his uh, you know, vision of his future you know, child spirit hovering around the room, uh, switched specialties and became an OBGYN you know, family doc. So, um, you know, but he was already a you know, physician. Um, he just recalibrated his you know, focus. Thank you very much. Um, now, another point that I wanted to talk about is um, if we look at people that are in very special roles, who are able to facilitate system change or who are able to facilitate change in society. So, um, for example, people in leadership positions or great innovators or people who work um, in organizations or in, let's say, in UN organizations and governments. Um, what's your perspective on, on them in relation to psychoactive technologies? And just, you know, as an example, or, you know, where the thought came from, perhaps, is that there's some people that refer to psychedelics being the trigger for a lot of innovation and for a lot of, especially in the technology world, for example, Ralph Abrahams saying that psychedelics had a major effect on um, modern computers. So I would be curious to hear your view on on that intersection of psychoactive technologies and yeah, these particular, this particular group of people, of leaders, innovators, and um, global systems actors? Um, well, there were a couple of studies um, in the in 1960s, you know, looking at the effect of psychedelics on creativity. You know, so in a way, you're wondering if these people can become more creative. Uh, come up with novel ideas or plans to implement. Uh, but an important point to make in those early studies is that the people who were in them were already creative people. You know, they were scientists, um, you know, writers, artists, uh, 
uh, engineers, um, you know, so they came to the study with a problem they couldn't, uh, that, that they weren't, that they weren't able, you know, to solve. Uh, you know, so they uh, volunteered to see if you know, psychedelics could help them with, you know, solving a particular creative problem that they had been previously unsuccessful you know, with. You know, so in that group of individuals, many of them, if not most of them, were able to come up with solutions, which when they were sober and went back to the lab or the studio, implemented and they worked out, you know, they were, you know, good solutions. Um, so I think in the case of, you know, leaders or politicians, uh, those kinds of elites, um, you know, you're already working with, you know, creative, responsible, powerful people. Uh, so if they were unable to, you know, solve a particular you know, problem, uh, then, you know, psychedelics, you know, could help uh, with increasing creativity. You know, it's important, though, to look at the other side of the coin. Uh, if you're an evil, bad person, and you're stuck on a problem that you want to solve in order to become, you know, more destructive and more evil, uh, you know, psychedelics could also help in that regard. Mm, yeah, yeah, I see. Which goes again back to your point of psychedelic as an amplifier of what is already there, right? Um, Hmm. Um, another point that I wanted to touch on is science and the type of science that's being done in relation to psychedelics. Um, so I suppose the main focus of your work and also um, what currently is being done is very much in the in the field of consciousness research in, um, and medical applications. And what's your view on potential studies outside of this realm that would go, for example, more towards what you were talking about just a second ago um, and looking at creativity or looking at systems change. Do you have the sense that that's science that's worthwhile doing or um, do you know, or would you have any ideas for scientific designs that you would, where you would think that that would also benefit humanity um, by, for example, bridging departments such as business schools and the psychedelic scientists? Um, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, you know, I started off with, uh, you know, psycho, with a you know, psychopharmacological model, uh, you know, serotonin receptors and, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, stimulation of hormone activity uh, but in a way you know that was a requirement for getting research off the ground in the u.s again um, i needed to really keep my goals modest and objective uh, you know so if i uh, approached you know, the regulators you know saying i was interested in enhancing creativity or advancing people spiritually just a second um, it wouldn't have, you know, gone over very well, you know, so, you know, but at the same time, you know, I was, you know, trained in you know, clinical, in uh, you know, clinical psychopharmacology research, 
uh, and enjoyed that. I mean, I began college as a chemistry major, um, and I, you know, really liked endocrinology. You know, so in a way, it was a good, you know, combination. I had spiritual questions, but I wanted to, to, to begin, you know, to ask, uh, uh, you know, to ask them in a uh, you know, very indirect biological you know, manner, um, but at the same time, advance the field. Um, you know, so once I stopped my research, I was looking for more spiritual models to understand my results, which then you know, led me to the Hebrew Bible and you know, prophecy and then you know what is you know the nature of 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 you know the mind uh when it comes to you know new ideas and creativity and improving the world um you know so even though i started out even though i started off in you know, hardcore science uh and i still keep one you know foot in that world uh i've uh you know taken the uh, phenomena to a more spiritual kind of place, uh, or I don't even know if I call it spiritual, but you know more, you know, uh, you know more concerned with you know the message, you know the information that's contained in those states, you know, not necessarily, um, you know, the chemistry or the electricity that's involved in uh, you know behind the scenes with those states. Uh, I think for you know, research, future research uh, within the consciousness and, you know, medical worlds, uh, you know, vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, creativity, you know, business schools, uh, you know, poli-sci schools, schools of economics. Uh, I, I think, you know, that interface uh, comes, you know, down to understanding how you know, psychedelics make things more real for people. Um, and I think that, you know, ties in, you know, to them being you know, super placebos. You know, they act to, uh, you know, marshal the innate, you know, healing properties of the mind and the body. So if we could understand the, you know, biology of the placebo response, which I think you know, psychedelics are unparalleled you know, tools for doing that, uh, you know, because you know they are you know, super placebos. They they give you what you want. If you're a bad person, you become worse. If you're a good person, you become better. You know, so that's an amazing drug. It uh, it's a non-specific mental amplifier. It's a you know, placebo. You know, so I think understanding the you know, mechanisms, the biology, the chemistry, the pharmacology of the placebo response combined with the intellectual underpinnings which uh, are involved in economics or politics or um, business, uh, it could be a really great uh, intersection. If you want to solve certain problems that require uh, certain you know, facilities of the mind, you know, then you can, you know, tailor in a way um, the you know, pharmacology to optimize your outcomes. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for your thoughts on that. Um, I mean, I must say, you know, you do have a healthy bit of skepticism with regards to, um, you know, the potential of psychedelics to save the world, you know, to say it in very, 
bland terms. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and also, you know, from, I mean, some things that you said uh, today, but also what I've seen you say um, on, other, on other media, you're also a bit, of, a bit skeptical towards other traditions. So I would just be curious to hear from you. Um, so what do you think is then a way forward to people to develop themselves and to be the best version of themselves? And by that also to trigger system change as a result, I suppose. Yeah. Um, well, it isn't that I'm skeptical of certain you know, traditions as much as I'm suggesting that you know, people keep an open mind about all of you know, the traditions out there. Um, it's a hard you know, sell, for example, for me to say, oh, we should be looking at the Hebrew Bible with its notions of God and the golden rule, uh, as opposed to Buddhism or shamanism. Uh, much more interest is in the shamanic and the Eastern religious way of you know, looking at spiritual states. And, you know, that may be the case, but I think our own Western, you know, tradition um, you know, deserves um, a mature approach, a mature study. Uh, you know, so I think it's important to you know, keep an open mind about what could be the most you know, helpful way of uh, interpreting the psychedelic state and applying it. Uh, you know, so what was the you know, second half of your question? I'm sorry. Um, so, um, so what would be, in your eyes, the best way or a promising way for people to become the best version of themselves and by that also to have a positive impact on systems and system change? The best version of themselves. Uh, well, they need to be, you know, working on that all the time. It isn't just going to be... Uh, a single or a you know, series of isolated you know, psychedelic experiences. Um, they need to be working on becoming the best version of themselves all of the time, you know, through what they think, through what they study, through what they eat, through what they do, uh, what they believe, you know, how they spend their time. And, you know, then uh, if you judiciously, prudently, you know, carefully apply the you know, psychedelic state, you can maybe speed up that you know, process or make the importance of it become that much clearer and increase your motivation to continue with becoming the best person you can. Um, I think that you know, psychedelics ought to be more available to the larger population, but uh, I think that ought to be done very carefully and only after a lot of thought. Um, I think just you know, legalizing you know, mushrooms, it's a bit, you know, reckless. I mean, you're bound to have, you know, problems. But at the same time, you, you know, don't want to keep these out of the, you know, circulation and only in the hands of the scientific elite or the religious or shamanic elite. You know, so I think there needs to be the development of, uh, you know, centers. But, you know, they can be, you know, quite a few of them, uh, you know, uh, you know, make mushroom or, you know, make LSD, uh, you know, but with, you know, <laughs> but, you know, carefully trained people, you know, who are screened, responsible, educated, uh, compassionate. Uh, and, you know, that's occurring at a small scale 
now, and I think it will just continue to expand. Um, you know, kind of specialized places where people can go and trip, you know, for various reasons. You know, right now they're purely medical ones, uh, PTSD or end of life care or um, you know, medic, you know, meditation research. Um, you know, but I think you know people ought to be able to, you know, come to one of these places or you know get referred to one. You know, saying I'm a scientist, I have a problem I want to work on. I'm an artist, I've got a block, you know, creative block. I'm an economist, I want to, uh, you know, figure out, you know, yield curves in a more creative manner. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, you know, depending, uh, uh, I think uh, any number of, uh, any number of issues can be, you know, can be addressed. Um, you know, at the same time, uh, you want to, uh, I, th I think you want to, I'm not sure exactly how this would occur, you know, but, uh, you know, because those places, let's say, would be regulated, uh, you would want them to be, uh, you know, directed, you know, uh, um, toward good outcomes. Uh, you wouldn't want, uh, you know, fascists, you know, running these, you know, places uh, to increase you know, survivalist, ultra right wing activities. Uh, you know, so those I guess would you know be underground. Uh, you know, the more uh, you know beneficent uh, purposes could be served uh, with a more above board, above ground uh, you know, settings. Um, you know, like that, which would be you know, publicly available and uh, you know relatively widespread. Mm. Hmm, thanks. Um, so I have one question in relation to the current situation around Corona. So I think the narrative in the public media is fairly, um, you know, it's very singular. And I was wondering, you know, if you look at psychoactive technologies and all the various things that they do and what these communities offer, and by that I don't just mean the um, psychedelics, but I also mean the meditation or the breath work. What do you think could be some things that these technologies can potentially offer um, to have a positive impact on the corona situation? Um, well, I think the coronavirus is a result of inequality, uh, you know, social inequality. Um, it's spreading the most among the poor, the homeless, the crowded. It's not uh, spreading as much, let's say, among you know those that can afford to fly away or you know hunker down in their you know, fortresses. Um, you know, so it's unfair in a way, and as a result of that inequality, uh, it started in these wet markets, and uh, you know, which are you know rather specialized you know places. You know, poor people can't you know buy live animals. To eat, rich people can though, you know. So in a way, you know, the elite started it, and now it's kind of wrecking havoc um, among the masses, you know. So I think ultimately it's a result of uh, a you know, lack of compassion for your fellow, uh, you know, for your fellow, uh, which is a violation of the golden rule, you know. So uh, if there are people in the community out there 
who want to be more helpful and have certain ideas about uh, you know, how to do that. Um, if they've got uh, certain skills that they're not certain you know, how to apply or they're not that convinced that they want to apply them, you know, psychedelics or any you know, psycho-spiritual technology uh, that uh, alters consciousness in a particular way could uh, increase one's you know, confidence in their ability to help come up with new ideas you know, for how to help um, increase their compassion, which may have been kind of ambivalent uh, in the first place. So uh, I think the uh, careful, thoughtful use of psycho-spiritual technologies could be helpful in those ways. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I really think that's a very valuable perspective, actually. And I hadn't at all thought about it from that perspective. Um, okay, as a last thing, I just want one um, spontaneous association from you, and that is, what is the complexity you most want to upgrade now? The complexity, you may, uh, what do you mean, you know, to make it more complex or less complex? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, ideally less complex. <laughs> less complex. Uh, well, you know, clarification, I guess you're asking for. Um, the complexity in my life has to do you know, with writing, uh, what to write and how to write it. So that's what I would like some help with, is the complexity of the writing process. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Thank you very much. So that was um, the last question. And yeah, I very much enjoyed our chat. Thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thanks, Tanya. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to SciX, the Systemic Psychedelic Podcast. 